Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's coming to you. You know, I'm not live. I guess I am recording this live, but you'll be hearing this on a Friday. Recorded this on a Thursday at 3.06 p.m. Eastern time. Only time zone that matters, in my humble opinion. We got the AFC and NFC Championship on the way. You can check out the Wednesday edition of this podcast for a full breakdown of those two matchups. Obviously, Packers, Buccaneers, and the Chiefs Bills. Looking very much forward to both of those, but want to talk about that a little bit more today and also some other things that have been throughout the news, as we all know. NFL cycle we might just have four games or excuse me two games four teams this weekend but in dynasty land and all you just other diehard uh, people out there the clock never stops ticking in terms of what we can be looking to do in the future so I have a very special guest for our usual Friday edition of 10 questions you can find his work at fantasy labs and the action network some call him the prop profit he's a man to people with daily AMAs Matthew Friedman Matt welcome back man Thanks for having me. By the way, uh, the Central Time Truthers, uh, they must be livid right now. Uh, and considering you live in the Central Time Zone, uh, I'm a little bit shocked to hear you say that the Eastern Time Zone is the only one that matters. I don't live in the Central Time Zone. You think Ohio is that far west, man? All right. Well, see, this is <laughs> I, it's a good thing that I know a little bit about football because I know nothing about geography, clearly. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't even think it's, this, I think it's the West coasters. Like I've had a couple, uh, you know, NFL media things where they're like, Oh, you know, talk to you at nine and three hours later, like, by the way, you know, by nine, we're talking about a completely different time than you're used to. So it, it is, it is the people on the Pacific, you know, coast who end up doing like pulling the time switcheroo. Like for the most part, people in the central time zone or mountain time zone, like we, we have to get used to everyone just functioning on Eastern, but yeah, the, the Pacific, you know, the, the West coasters, they're the ones who really do have like the uh, the chip on the shoulder when it comes to scheduling calls and stuff like that. We got to get out there, man. You're in Minnesota now? Yes. Man, think about it. We could be on West Coast. Instead of those nights ending at midnight, it could be 9 p.m. Who knows? We could have like a social life. I don't know. Talk to people. Where are things have happened, Matt? Social life? Uh, <laughs> what, what pandemic are you in right now? <laughs> Okay, <laughs> because my my pandemic basically entails me sitting at home and have. Although honestly, is it really that different from what I was doing in previous years? I mean, I, social life—that's that's beyond me anyway. All of us uh, fantasy analysts out there really have not had that big of a change over the past year, but it is what it is. I do want to get out to the West Coast, but that's a story for another day. As I said in the intro, Matt is here to do our usual ten questions again. Mostly, you know, we'll, we'll, last four questions will be focusing more on the games, but wanted to get through some of the news and particularly with. Matt being one of the best dynasty brains in the business. I want to get his thoughts on some important topics moving forward. So without further ado, let's get after it, everybody. Matt, question number one. We saw a lot of talented rookie RBs break out this season. James RB1 son, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, list goes on. Which 2020 rookie RB would you want most in dynasty right now? Okay, nerd that I am. I'm going to answer this uh, in three different ways uh, in a vacuum. It's got to be Jonathan Taylor. I mean, he's, he's clearly the best of the class. His rushing ability is unparalleled. His athleticism is elite. Uh, and he was a much better receiver than we would have expected coming out of college. And on top of that, he's got a great offensive line and we don't know what's happening with his quarterback situation next year, but I would expect that we still see a run heavy system for him. So everything aligns perfectly in a vacuum it's Jonathan Taylor. And I really don't think it's close, but I, well, actually I'm going to take that back. I do think it's a little bit close because the second part of the answer is that out of the guys in the, the top tier, I think the one who offers the most value right now 
is Cam Akers because I think he can do a lot of what Jonathan Taylor does, but he's significantly cheaper. If you tried to acquire him in Dynasty right now, there there is a clear teardrop in the way that people are valuing those two players. But Akers is big and he's fast. Uh, he's probably not as good of a receiver, but he's probably pretty close. And in terms of rushing, I think he's pretty close too. And we saw in the second half of the season when he really became the lead back in that Rams offense, we saw the workload that he could get. And it's, I mean, it's up there. I would say it's right there with Jonathan Taylor. So uh, in terms of the guys at the top, I think the one who offers the most value, like bang for buck, is Cam Akers. But I should say, this is the third part of the answer. The guy who offers the most overall value within the class, I think that is still actually Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He had a better season than people think. He should improve in his second season, especially as a receiver. And he's still the lead back in, if not the best offense in football, a top three offense. So I think people really are disappointed. They're disillusioned with what Clyde Edwards-Alaire did in his rookie season. But it, like, if you just kind of take it in the big picture, it wasn't that bad of a season, especially when you compare it to what other rookies have done in the past. So Edwards-Alaire, uh, just in terms of overall value, he's the guy that I would be targeting right now. Yeah, tough to find just a better situation coach quarterback scheme than what Clyde Edwards-Alaire has moving forward. I'll be interested to see if Damian Williams decides to opt back in next year because that could form a small committee. But even then, you know, 12, 15 touches in that offense can certainly make do with that. Yeah, I mean, I think going into 2021 specifically, I might have to put Akers one. You mentioned that workload. Last five non-injury shortened games, 22, 31, 25, 30, and 19 touches certainly look good doing it. want to quickly touch on a couple guys you didn't mention. James Robinson, he's going to be an improved offense new coach new quarterback but those should seemingly be good things we need to see if the Jaguars add someone to this room because if nothing changes for him James Robinson already has the workload we want yeah absolutely right the question with him is going to be opportunities you have to assume the offense is going to be better with a new offensive coach uh and then of course a new quarterback coming in the, the big question is, do they add a veteran in free agency or do they draft a running back in the first three rounds? Uh, if they don't, then, I mean, James Robinson all the way, like then, then you absolutely want him. And so I think you just have to approach him right now with a little more of a speculative mind. I think you just kind of need to decide, yeah, I think he's going to be the guy and I, I'm betting on talent or, you know what, like he is talented, but I don't think he's going to be the guy. And so, you know, I'm not buying him or I'm, I'm looking to sell him while, while he still has some value. I think you just have to, you have to plant your flag on him one way or another. Last uh, point I want to bring up in this one. So Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, both talented guys. We kind of have questions with the workload. Gibson, J.D. McKissick, Swift, Adrian Peterson, whatever old veteran running back they're going to bring in, take some early down work. Where do you have the – which one of those guys would you prefer in Dynasty right now? I prefer Gibson. Uh, and, and that's not to take anything away from Swift, but I do think that Gibson looks like a guy who will be the guy. You know, like at some point he will be the, the clear lead back. Uh, you know, J.D. McKissick is still there to, to siphon away targets and that's annoying. But I mean, just in terms of like his his profile and the way <clears throat> the way that they've been using him, like you can see the path forward to him getting a lot of a lot of opportunities. And he still had even on a bad team, he had over a thousand yards and in double digit touchdowns like that's just going to improve next year with Swift as talented as he is. I don't know if the new regime coming in is going to view him as a lead back like he's still as good as he is, he might be typecast in that kind of like, oh, you're just a committee back. And, and you know, I think that would be um, a, a disservice 
to his potential in the NFL, but I'm just kind of going off of what I feel I can project. And I feel confident that the Washington football team wants to use Antonio Gibson as a lead back. Yeah, look, Ron Rivera is trying to, you know, recreate the Panthers. At least the least he could do is give us DC, CMC, and give Gibson that true three-down workload. Yeah, it's funny with Swift. We're, again, we're recording this Thursday uh, afternoon, so we've had, you know, Dan Campbell just dominating Twitter with all of his, you know, talk <laughs> about busting kneecaps and this and that. One thing he said that went under the radar, Matt, we've already gotten our first offseason. We'll use him in the slot coach speak for a running back with Swift. But to your point, that might actually be more problematic because right. as we've seen with these things, that might just be a sign that, yes, they do kind of typecast him as a scat back one of these third down backs should he be considered that absolutely not he looked fantastic running wherever he got the ball throughout the season but certainly something to keep in mind particularly with a new coaching staff in Detroit all right so I want to move on to some of the top free agents going into 2021 we're gonna play fantasy matchmaker here so not including the team that they have already played for where would you like to see the following 2021 free agents land ahead of next season starting with Allen Robinson okay I'm going to subvert the rules just a little bit here. So technically, technically I'm breaking the rules, but I think Uh, last landing, like bears. uh, Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I think you see where I'm going. I'm not breaking the rules according to the spirit of the question. This is fair. I would like to see him go back to Jacksonville. That's, that's wild, right? Uh, The return to the Jags feels so poetic, but it's a new offensive system, new coach, new quarterback wouldn't you like to see Allen robinson like actually play with a good quarterback and we could see him play with a generational quarterback if he goes back to to jacksonville and he has trevor lawrence there i think that would be exciting i am with you i mean we can go back to that year two season no matter what even having blake portals in the center 80 catches 1400 yards 14 scores go back there with a legit 1.01 QB. Good things could happen for Arab. I also, I, I think you're right in terms of fantasy, but I think the Ravens could be a little bit under the radar. Yeah, I know. Oh, Lamar Jackson can't throw. We had these exact same conversations about Josh Allen last year, and we saw what Stefan Diggs did there. I'm not even saying A-Rob is as good as Diggs, but he's in the same conversation. I think putting a true, you know, stud X receiver like Robinson in that offense could help him and that Ravens passing game a ton. Next one, a guy you've been high on for years, Juju Smith-Schuster. Okay. Uh, This one, I've kind of struggled with it. Atlanta Falcons. Uh, They still have Matt Ryan. Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley are on the perimeter. With Juju in the slot, I think they'd have the best receiver trio in the league, and he would face a ton of soft coverage. And Ryan still has the arm strength to get him the ball more than just like three to five yards past the line of scrimmage. And so I, my, my fear, I mean, not fear, but like one, it's not going to happen because they're just not going to have the cap space for it. But like my fear is that I'm wrong. And I think it's Ben Roethlisberger's fault and Duck Hodges and the quarterbacks that they've had there for the past two years uh, in, in Pittsburgh. Maybe the problem really is just Juju and he's not that good of a route runner and he doesn't have the explosiveness that he had uh, in his first and second seasons. But I think if he got in a better offense and returned, you know, got with a quarterback who could actually throw the ball further downfield, we would see something akin to the Juju of years one and two. 
the Falcons are one of few offenses that we could realistically project three fantasy relevant wide receivers with the amount that Matt Ryan throws that ball and the efficiency with which he does. I got a sneaky one here. What about the Raiders? Because we got Derek Carr, who, as we saw with Henry Ruggs, does not like throwing downfield to him. Nelson Aguilar might have, you know, priced himself out of the situation. We know Darren Waller is going to be the one, but hey, Juju, low A dot, mesh with Carr. Maybe it is John Gruden's destiny to feed Juju Smith-Schuster 100-plus receptions, somehow finish under 1,000 yards, you know, find the end zone a couple of times. It could work, people. Don't count out the Raiders for Juju. Okay, a guy who has a one-game suspension going into 2021, but after that, he should be ready to go. Will Fuller. Okay. The Chiefs, Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robinson are free agents. Even if you give Miko Hardman more playing time, there is room for another receiver in that offense. Fuller can do a lot of what they want out of Watkins, and he gives Mahomes yet another burner who could just really unlock that offense. So the idea of Fuller in, in Kansas City, like it's not going to happen, but uh, I mean, it's, it's almost like pornographic to think <laughs> of him in that offense borderline erotic some might say yeah man with fuller like look he could be one of these guys to make the most out of those 80 90 targets and it truly is wild to imagine if the chiefs hadn't of screwed up that sammy Watkins deal like if they had actually just yes. gotten a receiver with that price tag we could be looking at a fully even more explosive version of this offense which again is just wild to even think about how about the lions we have marvin jones and kenny galladay under the That's radar a good one. as a free agent so if they end up bouncing matthew stafford with that bazooka for a right arm could see a situation where fuller again you know i'm he is one of, okay, I think he can be a wide receiver one. Is he better off kind of being a wide receiver two, wide receiver three in a situation like KC? Probably he can elevate any offense, but for looking for raw total targets, Detroit might be one of the possibilities. All right. Former Ohio State, former Ohio State Buckeye, one uh, running back wide receiver hybrid I've been high on for years, Curtis Samuel. Okay. Uh, I'm going with the Ravens. They need a number two receiver. Samuel could play inside and outside. And they could also use him as a running back. Mark Ingram is gone. Gus Edwards is a restricted free agent. So Samuel could sort of be like the de facto number two back within that offense. They could do a lot of interesting things with him out of the backfield. Uh, he could, you know, line up in the slot and then take some handoffs on jet sweeps. I think there'd be like a lot of sort of like next level potential, like chess match potential with how they could use him in an offense like that. That's a good call. I, I was wondering maybe if the Jaguars union or Urban Meyer would work, but you know, him and LaVisca Chanel, I think their skill sets kind of overlap. Maybe, maybe just maybe Randall Cobb 2.0 in Green Bay, you know, I like MBS, that. whether or not he needs to still be there. I think Curtis can stretch the field. I think he was not uh, mistypecasted as a field stretching wide receiver as much as Kyle Allen uh, was missed, uh, you know, identified as a real NFL quarterback. So <laughs> would like to see Curtis Samuel with by far the best uh, QB of his career in Aaron Rodgers. Last one here in this category, Playoff Lenny, Leonard Fournette. Okay. Uh, I, I feel disgusting thinking about Fournette or thinking about this team. Uh, the New York Jets. Uh, in New York, he won't be stepping on the toes of any other running back who I like and want to see get carries next year. Uh, it feels like the type of like perfect match between an irrelevant running back and an irrelevant team. Uh, and maybe he actually won't be irrelevant if he goes to the Jets because he could get a ton of carries. They might lean more on the running game with defensive-minded Robert Sala now as the head coach. So maybe it would actually work out in a way that they had wanted the Le'Veon Bell signing to work out and it just didn't. 
Yeah, I think we're just if, if we're looking for total volume, that makes a lot of sense. You know, we got the Falcons, Steelers, Dolphins, maybe the Cardinals if Drake leaves. Seahawks are the one that pops out to me with the potential for Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde to leave. How fitting yeah. would it be for them to piss us off all season long by not letting Russell Wilson throw, only to give the ball to Leonard Fournette twenty plus times a game? I would hate it unless you have Leonard Fournette on the team, then yeah. it might just work out. All right. So Ravens coach John Harbaugh has said he's totally certain. That's the quote. The Ravens will sign Lamar Jackson to a long-term extension with that in mind. You know, it's okay. I don't think any of us doubted Lamar wasn't going to be, you know, a long-term NFL quarterback, but at a minimum, we kind of got to readjust of him maybe breaking the position in terms of fantasy or just kind of being, you know, another above average signal caller. Where does Lamar sit in your dynasty QB rankings at this very moment? So I think when we talked in August, I had him number two, uh, I think he's still in the top five, but probably closer to four or five now. So I think obviously behind Mahomes, I would say he should be behind Deshaun Watson. He should be behind Josh Allen. Uh, but I do have him, I think, just a smidge ahead of Kyler and Dak. So Kyler has you know, uncertainties with the coaching staff. Uh, Dak has uncertainties with the health uh, situation and with the, the coaching staff. So uh, I prefer at this point Lamar to them, but honestly, like after, after Mahomes, after Allen, after Watson, I think uh, Lamar really is in a tier with Kyler and Dak. Yeah, I'm with you. I had him as my QB five right behind Dak, but I could see him bumping up uh, him to that four spot. So would you say that, you know, you, you include Kyler in there, those big six, and then is it a tier drop off than the, you know, Russ Rogers and some of the older guys that are still pretty good? Yeah, I think there's a tier between those guys. Yeah, hundred percent. Hey, you know, it's whether or not QB rushing yards should make as big of a difference in fantasy scoring. You know, we can debate that another day, but they do. It's a cheat code, Konami, whatever you want to call it. Keep trusting these rushing QBs, even if Lamar will ever probably be this type of pinpoint pocket passer that we're looking for. Okay. So Phillip Rivers finally decided to pull out <laughs> officially retired. We have some odds from a sports betting.ag on the Colts 2021 starter. I'm not going to list all these, but I provided them with uh, I provided them to Matthew. Which one do you like the most to be with the odds? The Colts week one starter in 2021. Okay. So I don't know. Like let's start with Jacoby. I just, I kind of don't see it. Uh, I don't think they want to go through that again. They they've had him in two different iterations as the starter for that team, they, they've seen what it's like. And I don't think that's something that they would be incentivized to go back to. So I'm just going to take Jacoby out of it. The guy who stands out to me, given the odds, uh, Sam Darnold at 50 to one. Um, but let's look a little bit at Stafford and Watson first. I still think it's likeliest that they stay with their teams. Like a lot has to go right or wrong. However it is you're thinking about it for a team to trade away a starting quarterback, especially if he still has some years left. Uh, So that kind of puts me on Sam Darnold. I don't think he's going to be the starter in New York next year. Um, I bet that the jets are going to draft a quarterback, which means Darnold will be available. Uh, And I could see Reich looking at Darnold as an upside reclamation project, like someone he could mold, someone who was still good, but didn't get the right guidance, the right support early on. And Reich could look at him and think, okay, that guy is still young enough. He's still talented enough. And I am good enough as a mentor of coaches to be able to get him to attain his potential. Uh, And they can probably acquire him for a second rounder, maybe a third rounder. I mean, like it's not going to take much to get Darnold. And I think if, if Stafford is off the table, 
Uh, and if Watson is off the table at that point, you're looking at, you know, Jacoby or Andy Dalton or guys who are kind of, you know, veteran retreads or someone who maybe still has a, a future, like a long-term future in the NFL. And I think that's the way that they would probably prefer to go. Yeah, it's. I think the odds are a little bit off of some of these quarterbacks that would need to be traded. Because yeah, we have Stafford plus four hundred. Uh, you know, Jameis plus sixteen hundred. Foles plus two two thousand. Once plus two thousand. Bridgewater plus twenty five hundred. Even Jimmy G around there. See Darnold literally having double those odds in a similar situation that would need to occur. Yeah, I like that pick. I kind of like Cam Newton at the same odds, 50 to one, just because he's one of the few quarterbacks where he is a free agent. All it would take is them to say, Cam, do you want to come be our quarterback? And he would likely say yes. Just such a difficult, you know, position and just player to really evaluate. Had Evan Silva on this podcast earlier. And, you know, Evan's been a long time Cam stand like myself, but pretty much, and we're trying to break it down. It's just, it's impossible to break down because yes, he struggled mightily to be a consistent, you know, drop back passer, but it's not like we just have one throw after another, you know, overthrowing a wide open wide receiver was you know dealing with one of the worst supporting cast which we saw bring tom brady down to his freaking worst in 2019 obviously he wasn't washed are you optimistic pessimist like what are you kind of forward thoughts on cam or is it just a complete unknown uh i'm i'm pretty negative but i think you are right that he was dealing with such a weird situation just in terms of the talent around him and the fact that he signed so late uh into the offseason to where he had very little like you know i mean training camp you know that was just kind of washed out this year anyway but like very little leeway or lead time going into the season to learn the offense to become acclimated with the receivers so it it really was a weird situation i do kind of like the idea of of cam and indy and like i could kind of see them doing that like they could they could think okay it's either going to be jacoby or cam one of them wins out and we can have sort of the same type of offense, regardless of whoever it is who wins the job. I can see it now. March comes around. They sign Cam. We start getting these reports leaking out that they've readjusted Cam's sleep schedule. All of a sudden, he's got an even bigger pep in his step. Don't count it out, everybody. I know it wasn't the you know greatest 2019 from Cam, but a lot of people coming in this year, coming off a foot injury. The question was more like, is Cam even the same caliber athlete? That got answered pretty well. He looked good out there. He had all the rushing touchdowns and just some, you know, great plays outside the pocket, caught some passes. The athleticism is still as, you know, well as we could hope it to be. Maybe getting in the more, you know, complete offense with a better coach passing game from Frank Reich could bring out the best of Cam once again. All right, so Matt, one of the, I think, best dynasty calls I've at least seen you make over the past few years was A.J. Brown. I believe he was your wide receiver too in that class. I remember we had a, uh, you know, podcast back in the Fantasy Labs days where I was like, Matt, why the hell is A.J. Brown your wide receiver too? He's on a, this crappy Titans passing game. I only, like Corey Davis is ahead of him. And your response was like, A.J. Brown is a freaking stud baller. He is going to be uh, this guy. Well, I'm now fully on the train. He did not just put up wide receiver one numbers in 2020, did so on two balking knees that he have, had to have surgery on earlier this week. Just a true grown-ass man, as we like to say, yeah. in the business. Uh, Corey Davis and John Smith are heading to free agency. Right now, where would you rank A.J.B. in the season-long 2021 wide receiver landscape? Okay, so I think there's a clear tier of two guys at the top. I'd say Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. And then after them, I think I think you could make a case if you wanted of, of A.J. Brown, number three, but certainly no lower than number 10, right? And so I would say, you know, Stefan Diggs, D.K. Metcalf, DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, uh, maybe Keenan Allen, and then A.J. Brown. I would say all of those guys, you can make an argument 
uh, as high as number three, as low as number 10. And I think the right place for AJ Brown is probably anywhere from like four to number six. You know what I mean? Like number three, I think that's probably Stefan Diggs. You know, like he, he's been good enough this season uh, and the way he's been used in Buffalo uh, like that's pretty good. Like I, I think that's projectable moving forward to think that he's a top three fantasy wide receiver next year. But after Diggs, uh, I, I feel better about AJ Brown than almost any of those other guys I talked about. It's it's very fair. I do have them as wide receiver six right now. Adams, Diggs, Tyreek Hopkins. I even put Keenan Allen ahead. I think just for the raw targets. But if we can get AJ Brown, if we just took every single wide receiver and we said you're all getting 150 targets, yeah, I think two or three like is actually in his range of potential outcomes. Man, he is yeah. that good. We just need to see that usage change. But again, with Corey Davis and John who potentially going elsewhere, you know, hey, maybe it won't take until week 17 for him to have his first game with double digit targets. Maybe, just maybe, now that he's healthier, we will see. I'm not saying give him three rush attempts a game, maybe just one, two all season. Like, come on. The last time the guy touched the ball as a running back was against the saints two years ago. He took it freaking 50 yards to the house. I understand they were doing that because the dude could apparently barely even walk throughout during the week. So I get it. But yes, overall, we've always talked about it. It's AJB wide receiver one season. It could be the wide receiver one season before we know it. Everybody playoffs you want to talk about playoffs yes that's right football's playoffs start this weekend and there's no better place to get on all of that action than with DraftKings Sportsbook PFF and DraftKings have teamed up this weekend only for a prop bet called the PFF quarterback special new users can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn one dollar into one hundred dollars if any QB scores a rushing or receiving touchdown that's code PFF for new players to get one hundred dollars if any quarterback scores are rushing or receiving touchdowns for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, one more uh, question before we get on to some of these matchups. So Drew Brees, I, it's not official that he's retired, right? But everyone's expecting it. Yeah, that's I, that's the understanding, I believe. That's my understanding. So he's yeah. seemingly set to retire after a fantastic career. You know, kudos to Drew and all that. But let's move Let's move on. Now we get to wonder all offseason long, will it be Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill? Two of just the most just, you know, man, the amount of conversations fantasy Twitter has had about these guys over the years for good and for bad. I absolutely love it. I think we can all agree having Jameis under center makes for great entertainment. But then again, Taysom gave us some pretty good fantasy uh, production when he was under there. Who do you want to win the job from a fantasy perspective this year? You know, just in terms of like, who would you like to make the most money on at their projected value? Okay. So uh, I'm, I am thinking of this in a couple of different ways. One is from like the late round quarterback perspective, thinking of only this player, I'd probably prefer to see Taysom. Uh, I think he'd offer more value on his own with his rushing ability, but from the perspective of the entire offense and like as a football fan, I think I'd prefer Winston. I think Winston provides more overall value to the other guys within his offense. Like if, if Winston is there, I don't think he necessarily like kills the value of Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara or anything like that. Uh, if, if Taysom is the guy I think we see fewer targets going to Kamara. I think we see him running more, which means fewer targets going to Michael Thomas. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the answer. On his own, Taysom, when I think, you know, kind of more holistically about all of the players, like who's going to produce the most overall fantasy goodness, uh, I think it's Winston. 
he uh, it feels weird to say that we probably haven't seen the best version of Michael Thomas because he broke the freaking NFL record for most receptions in a year. But in that 2019 season, only four of those receptions were on balls thrown at least 20 yards downfield. Jameis could bring a new part of Michael Thomas's game yeah. to fruition. I mean, everyone calls him slant boy. Like, I, don't, I think that's more of a, you know, just negative comment towards Breeze in this system than it is on Michael Thomas. Like, it's not that Thomas can't run 20, 30 yards downfield. It's that the quarterback hasn't been able to give him the ball. Every time Taysom Hill wants to throw a ball 25 yards, he takes like three massive crow hops before he can even get the thing out of his hands. So, yes, I'm with you. Overall offense. Absolutely, Jameis Winston. But with the late-round QB, it's probably got to be Taysom. In those four starts, he was the fantasy QB3, QB11, QB7, and QB7 again with a total of, let's see, 39 rush attempts. It would be brutal for Alvin Kamara. Really, I mean, if we do know that Taysom Hill is going to be a starting quarterback, I'm assuming Kamara would still be an RB1. But, man, like, we're talking about a massive drop. He'd probably be closer to that 10-12 range, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I would say entering 2021 – Kamar's, you know, maybe as high as the number two running back, but as low as the number five running back. But he he's in that range. If if Taysom is the quarterback, I mean, he drops outside of the top six, I think. But you know, yeah, going going at the end of round one instead of the top of round one. Yeah, probably the single most important QB situation we'll be walking, watching all offseason long for sure. All right, let's get to the AFC and NFC Championship now. Starting off with the Chiefs, seemingly set to have Patrick Mahomes under center. He got in a limited practice on Thursday. You know, I we're making this huge deal out of it, which I get it. You know, their concussions is a very important thing to monitor. But I just think that if it was a backup wide receiver having similar progression, we'd all be assuming he's going to play just fine. So assuming Mahomes is under center, that's great. He is dealing with this foot injury, though. And also, we got Sammy Watkins coming back from this calf. Claude Edwards-Alaire returning to practice, but obviously, he's not 100%. A lot of moving parts. I mentioned this in the intro, Matt. You've been called the prop prof before. I know a lot of times, particularly with injuries, we're not going to see these prop lines, uh, you know, up until Saturday or something. But where do you think we might see some value in this Chiefs offense, again, based on the potential for limited snaps ability at all these different positions? Okay, whatever props exist for Le'Veon Bell, I will be looking at the unders. Even even if Edwards Allaire doesn't play, it, it doesn't matter uh, because Daryl Williams at that point will just be the number one back uh, in the offense. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is basically the LaShawn McCoy, like what we saw from McCoy last year, where like at the end of the season he was he was like a game day inactive. That's basically the level of like respect or disrespect, however you look at it, that this Chiefs team is uh, giving towards Le'Veon Bell right now. Uh, he's nothing within the offense. So uh, certainly the unders on Bell. And then with the uncertainty at wide receiver, I don't want to project too much there right now, but kind of regardless of whatever happens there, uh, I will be looking at Kelsey a lot. Like I think he will continue to dominate. The over for Kelsey is 11 and five this year in his yardage prop. He's being targeted like a number one wide receiver right now. Since week eight, he has no fewer than eight targets in any game. And he's had 10 plus targets in every game, but one. Uh, if his receptions prop is five and a half or six and a half, I'll definitely be looking over there. Oh, yeah, I, I just I was doing a DFS article today and Kelsey this year had nine games with at least eight catches. The previous NFL record was seven by Zach Ertz and he had another freaking one uh, last week in the division yeah. round. So, yeah, truly Travis Kelsey. I mean, we just need I know he's a tight end and that makes him a cheat code in fantasy land. But particularly in the DFS streets this week, everyone like don't be afraid to put Kelsey in that flex and then put Robert oh, Tunyon yeah. at your tight end spot, because I feel way better about Tunyon than some of those, you know, sub 4K receivers. Are you with me there? With the, I, I know it's scary yes. to go to yes. tight end, but in this case. 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, absolutely. Uh, especially for tournaments, because I think people aren't going to want to go with a two tight end configuration. And so that will help you have a, a unique lineup. Um, but honestly, it might even be kind of like the optimal way to approach it. And I'd say kind of big picture, Kelsey is the priority in, in DFS this week because the edge that he has over every other tight end is massive. Like I, I can't imagine creating a cash game lineup this week that doesn't have Kelsey in it. No, he needs to be locked on 100%. Since 2018, including playoffs, number one player in the league in receiving yards, not including playoffs, falls all the way to number two. This guy is truly revolutionizing the tight end position in fantasy land. All right, looking on the Bills side of things. So Stefan Diggs has emerged as legit top three wide receiver in the league, real life, fantasy, whatever you want to go with. I place about number three specifically behind Adams and Tyreek, but man, we could even go number two if we want to have a couple drinks before the conversation. He's really right now in the midst of a Larry Fitzgerald-esque postseason run. Do you think the Chiefs, one, do you think the Chiefs can slow down, contain Diggs? And if so, which complimentary receiver do you think uh, would benefit the most from this extra attention on Diggs? So this is an interesting kind of like football, like on the field conversation. Like Diggs had one of the worst games of the year against the Chiefs in week six. You know, eight targets, six receptions, 46 yards. All of those marks are near the bottom of his game log this season. He did have uh, a touchdown, right? So that helped compensate for the performance. But the Chiefs in the regular season allowed the fewest receptions and the second fewest receiving yards to wide receivers. And it's not because they have a ton of great cornerbacks, although like their corners are fine. Uh, it's it's because of the scheme that they run with defensive coordinator Steve Spagnolo. Like they really defend the perimeter and downfield, which means that they're more vulnerable short and in the middle. So that's where teams tend to attack them. Uh, and so historically, we've seen running backs like running backs. Uh, the, the Chiefs allowed the most receiving yards in the regular season to running backs. Uh, to tight ends, the fifth most receiving yards. And so I think there's a question, um, is it is it positional or is it just kind of spaces on the field? So like, could the Bills basically change what they're doing and give the targets in the short and middle areas of the field to Diggs? Or is it something to where like Diggs is just kind of going to be not locked up because you can't lock Diggs up, but just kind of minimized. And then we're going to see more production to someone like Devin Singletary uh, or Dawson Knox, you know, but it's like, those are like the two guys that I, I really wouldn't want to be all that exposed to on the bills offense. But if Diggs isn't doing well, it's not as if I think that means that extra production has to flow to John Brown, maybe Cole Beasley because he runs routes in the middle of the field. But at the same time, Rookie cornerback uh, Algeria Sneed has been pretty good in the slot, especially in the second half of the season for the Chiefs. So I kind of I just look at the passing offense for the Bills and I, I don't know what to do in terms of saying like, OK, this guy is the guy who's likely really to break out. Like, I, I don't know. I, I think that it's probably um, the Bills doing what the Bills try to do but they do it just a little less efficiently than they do on a typical week. Yeah. If Stefan days gets contained, that's probably going to mean the entire bills offense gets contained right. in a big way. So yeah, I'm with you there. It doesn't necessarily mean one of these other guys will be popping off. I would say that, you know, John Brown, you look back at that first matchup, it was a goose egg. I would just say, keep in mind, everyone, he was playing through a lot of pain in that one. He was actually right. inactive in week seven following it. So love Smokey Brown. I think at this point, you know, even though he's been banged up this year, you saw him have over a thousand yards last year, truly one of the better wide receiver twos in the league. I do like go the well gun to my head with John Brown over those other guys. 
guys. On to the NFC side of things. So Aaron Rodgers, love this quote, said he thinks the Packers' first matchup against the Buccaneers about as telling as the Bucs' 38-3 loss to the Saints earlier in the season. Good on you, Rodgers. He's not wrong, but looking at that Week 6 matchup, what did you see uh, that you think will be most essential for the Packers' offense to fix this time around? It was really interesting going back to that game and, and kind of combing for details. The Packers were ahead 10-0 to in that game. I, I totally forgotten about that. But like when I saw that, I remember it's like, oh yeah. Like I, I remember looking at the game early on Sunday and thinking like, oh, okay. Yeah. Packers are just going to win. Uh, you know, but they were ahead 10 to zero until Rogers threw a pick six and then everything snowballed from there. Uh, so I would just say like one Rogers needs to play like his typical self, avoid the interceptions uh, without that. It's a totally different game. Um, this sounds really simple, easier said than done, but like avoid sacks Uh you know, they, they had a situation in week six, uh, the Packers lost 42 yards on four sacks. Like the, all of those sacks killed drives. Uh, if they can do a better job of protecting Rodgers, which it's hard without your starting left tackle. Uh, but if they can, if they can sort of through scheme, uh, get the ball out of Rodgers hands faster, I think that will go a long way. I think they need to run the ball a little bit less. Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and AJ Dillon, they combined for 19 carries, 80 yards. Um, the Bucks are number one against the run. So like almost all of the runs that they had in week six, I'd say, I mean, they're just wasted plays. And I think you could extend that to the passing game to running backs. The Bucks are top six in pass defense against backs. Uh, and in week six, Jones and Williams combined for 26 yards on six targets. Again, those were basically just wasted plays. Um, I don't want to sound like a Neanderthal, but like, Hey, you need to stop the running game. Like in week six, Ronald Jones and uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, they combined for 155 yards on 28 Ooh. carries. Uh, of course, now the Packers have defensive tackle snacks Harrison. So that should help in run defense. Uh, one thing that they did well in week six, uh, but they've kind of gotten away from uh, Jair Alexander shadowed Mike Evans and really shut him down. Evans had just 10 yards, no touchdowns on two targets, but the Packers haven't used Alexander in shadow coverage since week 10, uh, you know, and they've had opportunities to do it and they just, they haven't done it. And so I don't know if it's sort of like a rope-a-dope, like long con where they're just not using him and maybe the optimal way to use him so that when they really need to use him, the other team isn't expecting shadow coverage. So maybe they go back to shadow coverage with Alexander on Evans this week. Uh, Alexander, you know, he's he's not like a big cornerback, so he would be giving size away to Evans. But, I mean, he plays with a lot of attitude. Uh, and he certainly has, like, the speed to be able to hang with anyone. Um, I don't know. I think Alexander versus Evans gives them their best matchup. If they don't go with that, um, which I think they should, but if they don't, it'll just be, you know, Alexander at left corner, which will put him on Antonio Brown or backup receiver for most of the game. And that just seems like a waste. Yeah. And especially, especially that we have, you know, pretty much 17 or 17 plus weeks now of evidence that Brady, like he's not just going to force feed Evans. If it's not a matchup that he likes Evans had fewer than five targets in six games this year in 2014 yeah. and 2019, he only had five such games. So like Jameis did not care. He never cared. He was going to throw the ball to Mike Evans as much as he wanted to, regardless of who was there. And to your point, like Evans has seven inches on Jair Alexander. He has seven inches on most cornerbacks in the league. It's kind of the same thing with DK Metcalf. Like I wish these quarterbacks would just ignore the matchup sometimes when you have 
such a moving, you know, human mismatch like a Metcalf or Evans. But unfortunately, that's the world we're living in. We got to adjust. So uh, good points there. And yeah, I mean, that 10-0 lead, and it wasn't like Tom Brady just, you know, moved the ball up and down the field against his defense. Rodgers threw the pick six. And they threw another interception that got, back, uh, got brought back to the three-yard line. So I agree with what you said, too, about the running backs. But how about this? Because Devin White, great pass rusher, great, you know, sideline, sideline linebacker. He does rank 90th out of 99 qualified linebackers in PFL's coverage grade. And Aaron Jones, since entering the league, we haven't seen them do this that much, but when he lines up in the slot or out wide since entering the league, only Austin Eckler and Naeem Hines have averaged more yards per outrun. I feel like if they really want to go out of their way to try to create the best mismatch, it's getting Aaron Jones as a true wide receiver lined up against these linebackers. But again, it's kind of the problem of, are they going to do something we haven't seen before or, or are they going to go back to the well? So very interesting on that side of things. Now with I, like, Tom Br- yeah. I like that idea. Sorry, just to say the Aaron Jones uh, in, in the slot or split him out wide. I, I would say like, yeah, if you're going to pass to a running back, do it in a way that's inventive. Don't do it in the way that they've been doing it. 100%, 100%. Can we just feature Aaron Jones already? Yeah. I get it in the regular season. You want to save the guy, but come on. Come on, people. All right, so last thing here around Tom Brady and this Buccaneers offense. I mean, you know, he's here in the NFC Championship game. Win or loss, I mean, it's just impressive what he's been able to do year one in this Tampa Bay offense. But he's certainly been more of a top 10 versus top five QB this season. I think that goes on into the playoffs. And he's completing fewer than 55% of his passes in these two games. I know he's throwing downfield, but just realize there's been a lot of help from the run game and defense. So who will be the difference maker in this Bucks offense if they manage to overcome the odds and, you know, put up some points against this defense? We talked a little bit about Mike Evans and Jair already. So I guess out of the other guys, if we do think Evans is going to get locked up a little bit, who would you expect to have the biggest day? Well, I would say if Evans doesn't face shadow coverage, then I think Evans goes off because he'll be matched up against Kevin King the most. Uh, who's, I mean, I no big disrespect, but I don't think Kevin King is in the class of Mike Evans. Like King has allowed 9.9 yards per target over the past two Ooh. seasons. Like he's, he's exploitable and I, I would expect them to, to exploit him. So uh, if no shadow coverage on Evans, I think Evans goes off. Uh, if the Packers do shut down the wide receivers, I think it will be a Leonard Fournette game if the Bucs are going to win. Uh, you know, g- him getting it done as a runner and a receiver. In the regular season, the Packers allowed the third most receiving yards to running backs. And in two playoff games, Fournette has 39 and 44 yards receiving on 10 targets. So let's say if he gets 75 yards rushing and 45 yards receiving and a touchdown, like that's a pretty good game. And it's in line with what he's done in the postseason so far. Yeah, I mean, I know that Ronald Jones has still been getting some touches, but I mean, he, he busted that big one last week and the dude was limping out of bounds. It could be a situation where he goes out there for pregame, doesn't feel right, and just isn't even, you know, used to begin with. So yeah, got to go with Fournette there. Do you think Evans might actually be a great tournament play? Because even if Jair does shadow him, Jair hasn't spent more than five snaps in the slot all year. Evans is usually there for 15, 20. And on this small of a slate, man, it only takes a couple. Yeah, I, I do like that idea, um, especially because Evans is coming off of the down game last week. I think he's going to have some diminished tournament ownership. So, uh, yeah, they, they move Evans around enough. And he, he as you say, he does play, especially like over the past month, like six weeks, they played him a little bit more in the slot than they used to. So with his slot usage, he could escape Alexander enough to be able to get some uh, some points. Yeah, I'm looking at the fine tools that you all provide at Fantasy Labs and your NFL models. Mike Evans, already like a slap in the face, 5,800 price tag on DraftKings. And this is the projected ownership is far lower than any of Diggs, Hill, Adams, Goblin. We obviously know in Evans' upper range of outcomes, he's capable about scoring all those guys. 
That's going to do it, everybody. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Make sure you go follow Matt on Twitter, at Matt at the Oracle. Matt, I, that's probably been a tricky, like, Twitter uh, handle to describe, and it's got to be even harder uh, now. For those that haven't seen the old, amazing show, The League, it is just an incredible inside joke. I'm so happy you based your entire Twitter personality <laughs> around that. Let the people know uh, what you got in the pipeline for this week. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I do wide receiver and cornerback. First of all, I just got to say with the, the Twitter thing, I mean, <laughs> it's like, like I even tried when I first got on Twitter, like Matthew Friedman was taken Friedman. Matthew was taken. <laughs> They're just like all of these different iterations. And it's like, I've, I've literally contacted the people who are just sitting on these dead accounts being like, Hey, uh, can you give this to me? Like, you're not using it. I've tried to buy uh, it's just, it's not, it's not happening. So I, I, I mean, this is, there's some serial uh, angst happening <laughs> with me just day after day. I, I log into Twitter and it's Matt F the Oracle. And it's like, Oh, I need to get a better Twitter handle, but I don't know what to do. So anyway, so that, that's the, that's the Twitter thing, but yes, in terms of content. Uh, so this week I have a wide receiver and cornerback matchups, uh, matchup breakdowns for both of the games, you know, like, you know, 1500, 2000 words really diving into the wide receiver cornerback matchups. Uh, so be sure to keep an eye out for that at Action Network. Great stuff from Matt and the whole crew over at Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Yeah, you know, I thought I picked a pretty safe uh, Twitter handle, just iHeart. It's my last name. But as some of you might know, there, you know, is some interpretation for how to pronounce my last name. So when I got suspended uh, from Twitter a couple of years ago by the NFL. Uh, you know, a good friend, Adam Levitan, was, hey, if everyone knows how to help get uh, Ian back on Twitter, that'd be great. And someone's response was, maybe uh, try having less of a pornographic sounding Twitter handle. So <laughs> I, too, have had some troubles over the years with that, Matt. You are not alone. But thank you to Matt for coming on. Thank you out there for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. As always, we'll be back next, uh, probably next Wednesday. I still got to figure out that schedule. More on that. But please enjoy the AFC and NFC Championship and enjoy it the rest of your day. So for Matt, I'm Ian. Take care, everybody. <laughs>